Hello, and thank you for listening to Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope. I'm your host, Mike Stone. Have you ever had a moment in life when everything is going exactly the way you hoped it would? Maybe even better than you hoped. That time when you had complete joy and peace. Maybe you looked up with your hands raised to heaven and declared, God, you are so good. What about that moment in life when everything seems to come crashing down? Those moments when you're left with little to no hope. Instead of peace and joy, you are full of despair. If you acknowledge God at all, it's something like, God, how could you allow this to happen to me? Maybe you're in a place of despair right now. You wonder if you will ever find any semblance of hope, peace, or joy in life. You wonder why God would ever allow you to even be in this dark place. Or worse yet, maybe you blame God for doing this to you. Well, my guest today knows exactly what it's like to go from a mountaintop experience to the darkest deepest valley. There is hope. You will find peace again, and you will experience joy unspeakable. My guest today, Dave Dravecki, worked his way through the minor leagues to one day find his lifelong dream of becoming a major league pitcher come true. His career was moving forward when tragedy struck in the form of a cancerous tumor on his pitching arm. The doctors told Dave that short of a miracle, he would never pitch again. But Dave was focused on his comeback to Major League Baseball. Less than a year after surgery removed half of Dave's deltoid muscle, he made his comeback. He allowed four hits in eight innings to beat the Cincinnati Reds 4-3. It was one of those mountaintop experiences. But Dave's next Major League start would be his last. I encourage you to share this episode with everyone you know. We all need hope and encouragement. And I know you will be inspired as you listen to Dave Dravecki as he shares his story today from Behind the Mic. I'm a big fan of Dave Dravecki. I'm so excited to hear your story. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it, Mike. It's great to talk to you. So I want to talk about how things started for you. You grew up. Were you like every other kid in the U.S. and wanted to play baseball? Yeah, absolutely. Grew up with a dream, and hopefully someday I'd get a chance to play in the big leagues. And you did. You were drafted by the Pirates, and then your Major League debut was at 26 years of, of age with the San Diego Padres. Yeah. What was that moment like? <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> I have no recollection. The only thing I can remember, to be honest with you, Mike, is I was actually, I see myself in the cab getting ready to go to the ballpark after landing in San Diego. Wow. And from that point forward, I have no recollection. I couldn't, don't ask me who I faced. <laughs> Um, for the first time in my major league career. Um, don't ask me when I got my first win in the big leagues because I, I was on, I was on like cloud 10. Oh yeah. And you know, I'm like, I mean, I was like, what am I doing here, man? This kid from Youngstown, Ohio is now yeah. seen his dream become a reality. And, and so, um, it was just so overwhelming that, that to be honest with you, like 
some you just don't remember that but the majority of the buddies that i have that you know that are in the game or retired from the game can all tell you specifically where they were in that moment who they were playing against the whole the whole nine yards but but that's not me well, I'm glad to hear that because I think if I was ever in that situation, I'd be the same way. I would just be – adrenaline would be flowing so much that my, I would just be completely out of body at the moment. But uh, but you did, and and you went on to have a really great career, shorter than you wanted, but uh, yeah. really great career. And, and we were just talking about some of the, the batters you faced over the years. My goodness, what what an amazing resume that is. Well, it, it was an incredible era of baseball. It was. Um, because, you know, we were, I remember, I actually remember being in Candlestick Park. We were playing, I was playing for the Padres at the time. Had a lot of good friends on the Giants. A mm-hmm. lot of good friends. Um, Atley Hammaker, Chili Davis, uh, Scotty Gereltz, a lot of those guys. So wow. I remember we were in a group and we were talking and Chili Davis said, you know, guys, um, we need to, we need to take this serious that we are in the big leagues now because what's happening is these guys that are the veterans that we look up to and that we've learned from are handing us the baton and now we become the stewards of this incredible game and i'll never forget that because there were guys like mike schmidt and pete Hmm. rose and i mean steve carlton you could go up and down the list of great baseball players from one national league team to the other you know dale murphy with the braves and bobby horner and you know and then you just you think of some of the great pitchers and i faced barry bonds Hmm. you know one of the greatest ball players to play the game and so you know yeah that was that was a really special era of baseball it really was and i've got uh i've got a collection of baseball cards that I remember those names. I can see, as you're saying those names, I can see the cards in, the, in their faces and watching. It was yeah. just summer was not complete unless we were watching baseball. So how exciting. Yeah. And you also pitched in the 1983 All-Star Game. Yeah. What an yeah. honor. How cool yeah. was that? It, it was it was amazing. I mean, mom and dad were there. Mm. Um, my, my two-year-old brother, George, um, who was – um, unplanned. And, uh, my Jan was there. Uh, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. And actually that's where my relationship with Atlee Hammaker, who has become one of my best friends, even outside the game, that's where we kind of struck up a relationship because he was on that all-star team as well. And his wife, Jenny were there. And so Jan and Jenny got a little closer yeah. And, and, and that was just a wonderful experience. I thought to myself, man, what am I doing? I'm in this clubhouse and I'm, I'm, I've, I've got Johnny Bench on my right. I've got Pedro Guerrero just down the way. Um, you know, all these, all these great baseball, Fernando Valenzuela. Yeah. I mean, some of the greatest baseball players to have ever played the game. And, and here I was in the middle of all of that, this kid from Youngstown, Ohio, who saw his dream come true. And now he's an all-star. Yeah. How exciting. And you look back on that and was, was that part of God? Do you see God weaving that into your life to help with the story that you're telling now? Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, it, it wasn't until 1981 when I was in the minor leagues, uh, when I was challenged by my teammate and, and actually a kid that had just been traded from the Yankees to the Padres when I was traded from Pittsburgh to the Padres. And we were mm-hmm. both sent to double A baseball. And we ended up being roommates. 
And in the course of our relationship, I discovered that he was a Christian. I thought I was. And so during this relationship, through some questions and conversations, Byron challenged me, my, my roommate and teammate Byron Ballard challenged me to read the Bible to discover who I was in relationship to God. Hmm. And I thought being brought up in the church, yet not reading the Bible, I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't I read the scriptures to understand who I am in relationship to him? Yeah. And, and I went on that journey that summer. And as a result, um, my wife and I ran into the incredible love and grace of Jesus through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and made a commitment to follow him, um, confessed our sin, recognizing his death on the cross was for that sin, and entered into this journey, this incredible journey with Jesus, and little what I know the impact of that. But as I look back on my life, from that moment forward, obviously, there were some wonderful things that were going on in this story from a spiritual perspective mm-hmm. that I believe had a direct impact on my career. Now, when I say that, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, because I think people can get confused by that, Mike. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, I'm not saying this because I think that God was somehow responsible for the success that I was having that got me to the all-star game. I don't think that was the case at all. I think what, what it was all about was what God was doing in my heart that literally brought peace. And through that peace, I was able to have a greater level of focus and intensity as an athlete. Wow. And, and, and so um, it could have gone either way. Instead yeah. of being 12 and 5 in the first half, I could have been 5 and 12. As a matter of fact, I ended up 14 and 10, and I was only 2 and 5 in the second half. Mm. And, and so yeah. it's a good thing they picked you based on the first half performance instead of the second half <laughs> performance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so this journey with God at this point was more about what he was doing in my heart, more about what yeah. he was doing um, in my life as it related to me coming to a point of truly understanding what Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I know what it means to have plenty, and I know what it means to be in want. I know what it means to be well-fed. I know what it means to be hungry. But then he says, I have found the secret of being content. And that secret is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so it was really living out of a place, at least at that time, in a relatively young spiritual journey of understanding a piece of that peace and contentment that freed me up to focus on being the best ball player that I could be for the San Diego Padres. One interesting thought around that though, Byron, as we developed this friendship in 1981, towards the end, he looked at me and he said, you know, Dave, when you get to the big leagues, remember this. And I thought it was really interesting. He didn't say if mm-hmm. he said, he said, when he said, when you get to the big leagues, he said, just remember Jesus is your only audience. Wow. And that never left me. Now, there were a number of games that I went out there and I forgot that Jesus was my only audience. Oh, sure. You know, being human. But what a perspective that gives you. Oh, yes. And I carried that with me through eight years of my major league career. Yeah. Dave, I want to go to uh, what most people remember. I, 
I didn't see the game live, but of course I saw it on the news that night. I really distinctly remember. So you had been diagnosed. You had a lump on yes. on your arm, and found that it that it was cancer. You had it removed and was told you'd never pitch again. Yeah. Pick up the story from there, because I don't know. You you really had two comebacks. Yeah. So yeah, pick up the story from there. For those that don't know the story, tell us, tell us what happened after that. Yeah, well, you know, um, prior to that, I had just come off of the 1987 playoffs against the Cardinals, where I had thrown a two-hit shutout in Game yeah. Two and lost Game Six one to nothing. And so, on opening day of 1988, Roger Craig gave me the ball, and I was the opening day pitcher against mm. the Dodgers and facing Fernando Valenzuela. And we won that game five to one, but then fast forward, I started having arm problems. And by the end of the year, that lump was diagnosed as cancer. And the doctors were in the examining room telling me outside of a miracle, I'd never pitch again. Yeah. And so I had two choices in that moment. I thought to myself, well, I can focus on my health and retire from the game. People were already saying, why don't you just retire? Take care of yourself physically. It's not yeah. worth it to push forward any other way. Yeah. Um, and But in my heart, I was saying, but even though the doctors are saying outside of a miracle, I'll never pitch, that may not be God's plan for me. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And so, yes, I'll focus on my health. I'll do everything they tell me to do to get healthy physically. But if there's a point on this journey where I can try and make a comeback, then I want them to give me permission to try and play baseball again. Hmm. And I informed them of that. I wanted to try and make a comeback. And um, 10 months later, after an incredible roller coaster ride of rehab and therapy, um, I was able to stand on the mound in Candlestick Park once again and, and, and see my boyhood dream come true for a second time. Yeah. Because I was being told I'd never pitch. And now all of a sudden I'm standing on the mound getting ready to pitch against the Cincinnati Reds. My Reds. You know, and 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 in that day, nobody expected me to throw ninety-three pitches, Mike. Absolutely. Or go eight innings. Yeah. I mean, to, in today's game, do you think for one minute, based on how they handle pitchers, that they would have allowed me to go eight innings and throw ninety-three pitches? There's no way. That's right. Um, and, and, and I've got to tell you, that's why it's so confusing watching baseball for me today, because I was throwing without half of my deltoid muscle, that's I threw right. 93 pitches in eight innings. And today these kids with a completely healthy arm throwing 95 miles an hour, can't get to the fifth. And by the way, they've that's already right. thrown their 93 pitches. Yeah. You know, isn't that incredible? So it's absolutely did, incredible. Did you, when you walked out there, I mean, I think people thought this was kind of a ceremonial thing, you know, Dave's going to make his comeback. Did you feel that way? Or were you like, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing this. Oh, absolutely. It was the latter of the two. I'm here. Yeah. This yeah. was no ceremonial thing for me. Yeah, this was, this is game on, man. I'm here to help my teammates. I'm back in the saddle and I am, I am here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. I yeah. was I was at the end of a contract, so I was really excited about the extension, getting an extension. A number of things were coming into play here as it related to my family's future and my love for the game of baseball. So, yeah. you know, going eight innings that day was really solidifying that thought for me. You gave up four hits with a walk, 
had five strikeouts in eight innings to win the game against my Reds, four to three. Yeah, quite a comeback. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, I, uh, to be honest with you, stood on the mound um, at the beginning of the game and and I was overwhelmed. I was like, oh my gosh, God, thank you so much. Yeah, I was oh, sure. I was I was in that give thanks mode. You know that old classic Christian. Yeah. Um, song give thanks with a grateful heart absolutely man i was i was standing on the mound mike actually singing that song as the the, the fans were cheering because i was just so thankful to god mm. that i had been given this opportunity and i was looking into the crowd into the stands and looked around and so many of those people had sent wishes of prayers and thoughts towards our family and yeah. i was just so grateful to be there to be able to express through the game how grateful I was for their support, but um, also that that God had given me another chance. Yeah. You not only did well pitching, but you had three plate appearances and walked twice, so you even got on base. <laughs> yeah, which which they were probably frowning upon because they didn't want me to get hurt, you know, running <laughs> exactly. the base paths. Exactly. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I but I remember watching that, and just how amazing that moment was for me, just to know what I knew through the media, through your whole story, and that there you were, and you had such a great game. The Dodgers were in town after that for a three-game series, and then the Giants flew to Montreal, and you got the start against the Expos on August 15th. Now, you had just come off of this incredible, you know, cancer diagnosis, surgery, like you said, you lost part of your deltoid, had an amazing comeback. You had to be riding high on that plane flying to Montreal. Can you walk us through that day in Montreal? And and you, yeah. you had a quote. I want to talk about the quote that I heard you say when you were laying there too. But can you walk us through that day? Yeah. Um, it was It was a pretty special day because, you know, uh, through this entire week coming up to my next start in Montreal on the 15th, um, in my bullpen work, everything was going great and I had great rhythm and I was feeling good and going through my routine felt so good. Um, my, my journey with God, um, I was just mm -hmm. continuing to be in that thankfulness mode. Yeah. And I'll never forget Bob Nepper and I went to lunch prior to the game and we were sitting there talking and I was talking about the fact that um, it was really cool to be able to in the press conference after the comeback game to acknowledge um, how grateful I was and gave glory to Jesus and just wanted to acknowledge Jesus and, and all the people that God had put in my life to help me get to that point. Because yeah. I think the miracle was not in this fact that, you know, like like right now, if my arm grew back, that would be a supernatural miracle. Right. Um, my arm was intact. There were muscles there. There were things that you could do to try and get it strong enough. Mm -hmm. And I think what God did was he had all these pieces of the puzzle that were necessary to help me get to the mound. And they were all through the eyes of people who were gifted and talented based on the gifts that he had given them to actually work on me, to get me to a point of strength to be able to pitch again. So sure. the miracle was culminated in all those people helping yeah. me to get to that place. Yeah. And so I'm talking to Bob about this and he looks at me and he goes, man, I hate to burst your bubble. But it's not the miracle of the comeback that is so important here. It's the miracle of salvation um, that happened in your life back in Amarillo, Texas in 1981. 
Hmm. when you met Jesus. And he said, what God is doing is he is giving you a platform through baseball to share his love with those who hurt. And I thought to myself, well, that's cool, Bob. That's really cool. But I can't wait to start tonight because I get to, <laughs> I get to pitch again, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds good. But, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm in baseball mode. I'm getting myself ready to oh, sure. pitch against the Expos. And they had a pretty good ball club. Yeah. You know, so that night we start the game and things are going so well. And I'm in the fifth inning and we are winning and everything is great. Um, I go back out in the sixth. I have a little bit of trouble, but it's no big deal. Trying to gather myself. I've got Tim Raines at the plate. I go into my stretch. I rear back to throw a sinking fastball that Terry Kennedy called. And my left arm snaps in half. And I go falling to the ground. And I am laying there in tremendous pain. And all of a sudden, I hear Bob Nepper's words. Hmm. And they keep going over and over and over in my head as I'm laying on the ground. It's not the miracle of the comeback. It's the miracle of salvation. When you met Jesus all those years ago, and what God is doing is providing a platform through baseball to share his love with those who hurt. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, God, there is something going on in my life that is bigger than baseball. This is crazy. And I mean, I'm in that I'm laying on the ground and I'm thinking that as I'm being wheeled off. Uh, That's what's going through my mind. And then I go into the clubhouse and Bob Nepper comes in and Al Rosen is standing there and Roger Craig is standing there and kids from the Montreal Expos come in to see if I'm okay. Mikey Hmm. Fitzgerald who's the cousin of one of my closest friends, Danny Gospel, who I, he was my center fielder in Amarillo, Texas, hmm. when we played it, um, for the Gold Sox. Mikey comes in, he gives me a kiss on the cheek, tells me he loves me with tears streaming down his face and runs back out because he's catching that game. Wow. And all of a sudden, Bob looks at Al Rosen and says, hey, Al, the guy who gives me that profound statement He looks at Al and he goes, before Dave goes, do you mind if I pray for him? Hmm. And Al goes, please, Bob, do. And so all these guys are standing there. There had to be a half a dozen to eight guys standing there. And Bob prays and I then get wheeled off and go to the hospital to confirm that I have a spiral oblique and, um, and I've got to fly back to San Francisco. So just an incredible, you know, Mike, one of the things I say is that the greatest moment in my career was the comeback game. Mm-hmm. The most significant moment in my life was when I broke my arm. Wow. Because it, 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 God opened a window ever so slightly to give me a quick glimpse into the reality that there was something going on that was bigger than baseball. And even though I didn't get to see the full picture, He gave me a glimpse before I had to go back into the valley Mm. and go through the struggle of the cancer reoccurring, more surgeries, the announcement of my retirement, obviously, at the end of that year. And then and then ultimately culminating in 1991 with the doctors saying we need to remove your left arm and shoulder. And going through all of that was so difficult. 
because it came now with the denial of the reality that I was in depression and then watching my wife go through depression, the physical struggles because of the cancer coming back on more than one occasion, and then thinking that ultimately if you remove my left arm and shoulder, you get rid of all my pain. And I then went into a the reality of the depression that I was in denial of, reared its ugly head um, after the amputation um, because I was in an identity crisis. If I can no longer be a baseball player, then who in the world is Dave Dravecki? Wow. You know, it's yeah. like a concert pianist losing their, their, their fingers. Sure. Or yeah. a ballerina losing their feet. You know, uh, you, all you have to do is, is think about those things that are most important to you yeah. and what allows you to make a living. And you take that away. And that's where I was at. Hmm. And I had no long-term contract. My contract was over. Right. So I've got the question of how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to keep the roof over our head? All those things came into question. And I started getting very angry and frustrated over my situation and my circumstances. And I didn't know how to talk about it, Mike. And so because I didn't know how to talk about it, I just kept stuffing it. And I tried to be strong because there was a lot of pressure from the Christian community. At least that's what I sensed. It may not have been the reality, but that's what I perceived that I had to have the right face. I had to say the right words and I had to do the right things. Yeah. And so all that pressure just kept building up until I finally just erupted. And all of a sudden I became verbally abusive to my family, mm -hmm. to my wife and to my children. And, you know, I'd go out and I'd speak and I'd tell this wonderful story and then I'd come home and I'd close the door. And then I, then I, then I'd really deal with the pain yeah. And it would come out in anger. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just a really, really difficult period of time in our life. Especially with believers. And, and you, you mentioned you grew up in the church just like I did. And so we have these preconceived ideas when we go to church and we see these happy faces and everybody's life seems perfect and, and you know, God's in control. But when we walk away from church, that's when the facade comes down. And we have to deal with real life. And that's where you were facing right now is, is this identity that you had as, as this great pitcher, major league pitcher, and it was taken away. Yeah. And you were on the mound in Candlestick Park, absolutely out of your mind with what God had done in your life. And now it's all been seemingly taken away. Yeah. And you've got two kids and yes. a wife. So wh where do you go from there? I think people are here right now, especially with this COVID thing. Believers are not. We're all dealing with this being confined and and wondering what's tomorrow bring. Yeah. And de people dealing with depression, anxiety, suicide rates are high. Yeah. Kind of sounds similar to where you were at. Where did you go from there? Yeah, you know, um, well, it starts with this. I remember after... I had broken my arm, you know, I was in that, I was in that place where, um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the mountaintop and in the yeah. mountaintop on the mountaintop, I'm giving praise and glory to God. Yeah. Now I've gone into the Valley because my arms broke and right before I fly back to San Francisco, I'm in Montreal and I have a press conference the next morning 
in Al Rosen's suite. And there's total silence. I'm in a sling. And I'm standing there and I'm like, is anybody going to ask me a question? Mm -hmm. And I didn't say that. I'm just thinking it. Sure. And finally, after about 30 seconds of silence, which can be a long time. Wow. One of the reporters looked at me and said, so where is your God now? Mm. Rubber meets the road here. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, this is like the best question that any Christian could be asked in the midst of being in the valley now. Because they're always seen, you know, doing this after hitting a home run or crossing, you know, getting a base hit, only doing this, you know, you go into the end zone and you get on your knees and you pray and you thank Jesus for the touchdown. Yeah. Well, what do you do when you're, you, you, you're, you're laying there and you can't do anything. What do you do when all of a sudden you're standing there with a broken arm and you know, your career has come to an end. So where is your God, Dave? And I looked that guy in the eyes and I said, you know, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still right here in my heart. And it was when I invited him in back in 1981 that he came in to stay. And even though my circumstances have changed, God hasn't. Hmm. And I will have to trust him now to give me the strength to do whatever I have to do moving forward. So... When I found myself in the midst of the depression and Jan and I had finally gone to get help, fast forward, this is now post-retirement. I've gone through all the surgeries. I'm now I'm in the middle of the identity crisis and I've lost my arm and you feel like there's no hope in sight. What is going on with my world? Where are you, God, in the midst of this? Yeah. I know you're there, but where? Yeah, because you can't feel him. You can't sense him. There's just there's it's just seems dark and empty. Yeah. And we got into counseling and I realized the value of having someone I could trust that I could begin to talk about my pain with. And how important that was in the healing process and in understanding that God was right in the middle of my story, caring more for me than I could even comprehend. Mm, And it was through the precious guidance of this Christian counselor who walked Jan and I through our stories and through the telling of those stories, Mike, the healing began. All he did was help to facilitate us in telling that story. And every now and then he would push the pause button and say, Hey, This is what I want you to see about who God is in the midst of that place. And, you know, it was the most beautiful experience that Jan and I could have because it was we were both tracking independently with our own struggles. And as a result of being together, walking through those, it brought us even closer together in our marriage. Because we began, Jan in particular, began to hear the pain that I was having that I couldn't express and all sure. she saw was the anger. That's right. And so now she was begin to, beginning to hear why the anger was there. And the empathy she began to have for me was overwhelming. Hmm. And at the same time, I began to hear her story. And I felt so bad for the things that I had done that had pushed her there. And so now I was beginning to see 
myself in this relationship in a totally different way where there were moments where I could just look at her and say, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And so as a result, through being able to express our story, I can't emphasize this enough. When Christians find themselves in these deep, dark places, they cannot hide and they cannot be alone. They need to come out of that darkness into the light. And in doing so, being with others that you trust, talking through your fears, talking through your concerns, talking through the worries and the uncertainties of the future and even the present. And in talking and releasing that, it it brings a sense of peace. And the reality is that when we're pointed back to Jesus, that's where we are. That's where we discover the hope. Because the hope is that no matter what we face here on this earth, this is not all there is. That's right. And in Jesus, I have hope eternal. I don't have a hope and a promise for just living here on this planet, but it's for yeah. eternity yeah. that I have hope. It's, 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 it's the way that he has shown all of us as to what hope really is. And so that then impacts how I live on this planet. But in order to live reflecting that love that he has shown us to others, we have to first be healthy, Mike. Yeah, that's a great point. Dave, I can relate to you in the sense that there was a time in my life, too, where I felt this responsibility as a a husband and a breadwinner and a, uh, a father and I couldn't deal with it. And it came out the same way. It came out in anger against the ones I loved the most. And that healing came so I can relate to you. And I wonder how many, especially guys, are out there listening to this right now going, if they were honest with themselves, going, that's me too. Yeah. And 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 here's the other thing, Mike, that's really important in this. These guys have to realize that sometimes you can't you can't fix it on your own. That's right. And you need to be able to have the courage. It takes yeah. courage mm, yeah. to reach out and ask for help. Yeah, it and does. There's, and in the end, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, in the past 10 years of my life, I've, I've gone through, you know, as a Christian, we go through seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and this whole idea of um, entering into faith is realizing we're on a lifelong journey of maturing into that faith. And so um, I I was at a worship service with my daughter, Jan and I were during the holidays a couple years ago. And the the message was around uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight, nine, and 10. And that was a verse that quite frankly was a verse that made me realize that I was ready and willing to enter into this relationship with Jesus because it was that grace verse for it is by grace. You have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. And so that's what drove me to Jesus because my life was based on this measuring system that I thought God had created where the good outweighed the bad. And so it was more about my behavior than it was about the gift of grace and the transforming gift of grace that it is. But here's the, here's the kicker. Verse 10, 
Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the beauty of our faith is that we have nothing to do with it. That's right. From the gift of grace to the good works, God is taking care of it all. So then how do we live? And in this message, the word workmanship in the New Living Translation is translated into the word masterpiece. Hmm. And but I've got to tell you that so much of how we live our lives is understanding that when you come to Jesus, you become a part of his family as a child of God and you are now his masterpiece. But as my wife reminds me, Dave, you're still becoming his masterpiece. <laughs> and and so this journey is really about understanding that we're in process. Yeah, and so the right. hope the hope is that I'm not where I'm going to be um, a week from now That's because right. I'm in process with Jesus. Yeah. And so my dear friend who wrote this book called The Cure, his name is John Lynch, and Bill Thrall and Bruce McNichol are the authors of this book called The Cure. They remind me on a regular basis through some intensive courses that I've taken with them, always go back and remember who you are. And they say, never forget that on your worst day, God loves you more than you can comprehend. Mm -hmm. You see, so many of us, Mike, live in the fact that somehow we're going to disappoint God yeah. with a poor decision. Oh, yeah. And God's grace is taking care of all of that. As a matter That's of right. fact, when I understand who I am in Christ it makes me want to run to Jesus for all that he's done for me. Yeah. Instead of saying, now I get to go out and live my life the way I want. Yeah, that's right. Grace is Absolutely. not cheap. The grace mm. is not cheap. And don't let anybody say there's a distinction between good grace and cheap grace. There's only one grace. And it came yeah. at a huge cost, a huge Absolutely. cost, Mike. And yeah. so, so understanding that, that reality that I'm loved on my worst day more than I could comprehend allows me to get back up on my feet and run right back into the arms of God. Yeah. It reminds me that I'm his masterpiece becoming that masterpiece. So I don't, I never forget in the midst of stumbling, I always recognize God's grace is in the middle of it. Hmm. And it's a part of the process of getting to, to becoming that masterpiece. Yeah. That's and, right. the and the beauty of it is I'll never get I'll never get to become that masterpiece on this side of heaven. Right. It will only be when I get on the other side. Yeah. And so there's so much freedom in that message versus the message that says I've got to meet some expectations that God has set for me in order to be the Christian he desires for me to be. That's not the gospel. Yeah. There's too many out there that think that. And I think that's part of the reason why people don't want anything to do with Christianity is because yeah. how do you how do you live up to that? You can't. Yeah, you can't. And when you find yourself in the midst of pain and suffering in those deep, dark days, I want to cry out to God and know that he still loves me in the midst of my ugliness. Absolutely. And that's the good news. The good news is that he loves you regardless and what you can then do is have the freedom to invite people into your story 
to be able to let them know the pain that you're going through or the ugliness of that story Hmm. so that you can be loved. How beautiful would it be then to find yourself in a group of people that you trust and you can be fully known and in being fully known, being fully exposed, you wouldn't be loved less, but more in the telling of it. Mm, Yeah. Wow. I mean, we long to have those places instead of people trying to fix you and me. The church is so good at trying to fix us Mm, sometimes. That's right. Yeah. And what they're called to do is love us because God's the one who fixes. That's right. You know, and he fixes my heart on, on that, on, on his time frame, not somebody else's time frame for me. Yeah. And so if it takes me a little longer to work through those issues because I'm being a little bit stubborn, God knows that and understands that. If I know that somebody's in that journey with me, loving me, then I'm going to probably get there a lot quicker than if I'm in there with somebody who's saying, shame on you, Dave. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This life's hard. It is hard. And we need to understand that grace is there for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's exactly right. I often wonder how many times we miss opportunities in the church because we have this again, preconceived idea of what you need to be before you can come to God. And uh, I think that the message of grace is so much different than that. Yeah, it sure is, Mike. He says, come, come, come follow me. That's what Jesus says. Come follow me. Dave, you have a, you mentioned your wife, Jan. You guys have a ministry called Endurance. Um, I went to the website and one of the first things I saw at the very top was, is there any hope left for me? The question, is there any hope left for me? And I saw two buttons that said, one said, I am in pain. The other one said, I know someone in pain. Talk about endurance. Yeah, we, um, about almost 30 years ago now, um, we started endurance. It initially was Dave Dravecki's foundation. Mm-hmm. And then it, it grew to Dave Dravecki's Outreach of Hope. And in the last several years, I want to say probably the last 10 to 12 years, um, it has transitioned from outreach of hope to endurance, because what we've discovered is all our lives are lives of endurance. Mm. And, And so in that enduring, there is hope. And so what we do is we offer through our website, endurance.org, a free gift, an encouragement gift box that has resources in it that will help you come face to face with where is God when it hurts. Mm -hmm. It'll help you come face to face with the hope that Dave and Jan have as we walk through the valley of pain and suffering. Yeah, It'll help you understand the ability that God presents through trusting him to endure the journey. And so in the end, that's ultimately what endurance is. We're a resource-driven organization. We would encourage your listeners to go to our website, to click on that box for an encouragement gift box if you know someone that's hurting or if you're hurting and request that at no cost. Um, And we'll put that package together. We have a little mug we'll throw in there that has endurance on it as a reminder to endure. And when we say endure, we don't want you to just survive. We want you to thrive. 
Um, amen. Yeah. You know, and so we put a Bible in there called the Encouragement Bible that we've done with Johnny Erickson Tata. Yeah. co-edited that Bible with her. There are reflections of encouragement on every page. I would encourage people to sign up for my wife's um, devotional that she does. And um, and she, all they have to do is go to the website and sign up for the devotional, and they'll get it on a weekly basis. And obviously, there's no cost involved there. We're, we're, we're simply here to use our story to encourage others through their stories of pain and suffering. And yeah. we want them to run into the same Jesus we've run into. And that's the Jesus who has been there in the midst of our story through the good, the bad, and the ugly Mike, yeah. and who is who has shed his grace on us, who has given us hope, who has inspired us to thrive in the midst of our stories and inspired us to be who we are, be real and honest in that story as well. Um, so that when there is a need for encouragement, others can come around us that we've trusted that can love us well so that we can heal. And, um, and that's really the beauty of endurance. And quite frankly, if you find yourself being one who wants to offer encouragement to others, use our ministry, use our encouragement gift box. If you find that you run into three, four five people that you know are battling cancer and need hope and, and you want them to run into our, that story of Jesus and the, and the hope that comes through him, yeah. then please don't be afraid to go to our website and request five of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's wow. what we're here. That's what we're here for. We want to give this away. As a matter of fact, it's sad that we even have to have endurance because this should be what the body of Christ is all about. That's right. And so one of those yeah. things is we recognize, we recognize that every nonprofit plays a role in, in the extension of the body of Christ because it can't do, the church can't do everything. Right. So we're here to complement the church in relationship to the hope that is offers through the good news. What a great resource. We'll have that on the show notes along with some other things, uh, scriptures and things that Dave's talked about. So impactful. I am so encouraged and so uh, inspired by your story and uh, what you guys have gone through and where mm -hmm. you're at now. Just it, it really is a story of redemption, even here on earth, yeah. how God has used your story and redeemed that for yeah. his glory and allowed mm -hmm. others to uh, kind of walk alongside you and see that there is hope even in uh, the darkest times, which we say at the end of every podcast, you know, with, with Jesus, there's always hope. Yeah. And Dave, you've shared that with us today. I would love to have you back and maybe even have <clears throat> Jan uh, share some. Uh, you guys are, are, have been on my mind for a long time since I've got you on, I had you on my list. When I want to have Dave Dravecki on the show, and I'm so yeah. grateful that you uh, were able to join us and um, so grateful for Endurance and just your ministry. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. I know you've got some books out there as well. Tell us tell us where we can go. Uh, you guys, you mentioned the Bible that you did with Johnny Erickson Tata. Yeah. Uh, where can people get that if, if they want to just buy that on their own? Yeah, you can actually go to endurance.org and you can purchase. You can purchase. We have a bookstore on the website as well. And so if you wanted to purchase any of those products, you can do that. And one thing I did want to say, Mike, that I always fail to say when we talk about this story, you know, when I talk about being verbally abusive, some wonder, so how's your wife doing today and how's your marriage? Yeah, and, right. and I want, and I want you to, I want you all to know that we just celebrated uh, 41 years. We're going on 42 and we are, 
more in love with each other today than we have ever been as a result of this journey through the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm very grateful that my wife stuck with me in the ugly because it's meant a lot. You know, I think that's important to note because uh, there are a lot of us who uh, my wife and I included who go through rough times. And, you know, if we if we put our heads down and we focus on Christ and we look for, like you said, sharing that story, sharing with others, talking about it, God wants to use those marriages that sometimes yeah. fail. And so great to hear. Congratulations on uh, almost 42. And yeah. uh Wow, God's done amazing things in your life. I know he's got more to do. And uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's my pleasure, Mike. It's been great talking with you. Well, I'm so inspired by Dave's story, and I'm grateful that he shared it with us today. Maybe your lifelong dream was never realized like Dave's, or maybe you never got the chance at your lifelong dream. You know, you don't need to be on a national platform to experience a mountaintop experience or or even experience deep despair. Regardless of what your deep valley experience is, it's important to know that God has not deserted you and that he still has a plan for your life. It's okay when you find yourself in a dark place, just don't stay there. The enemy wants to keep you there, isolated, hopeless, grieving, numb. God is there. He will give you the strength and the determination to move on. It's not where he wants you, because if you don't get up and move again, you will never know the joy that is waiting. Dave could have stayed in that place of frustration and anger, but he realized that as he stated immediately after his injury, there was something bigger than baseball going on in his life. We want to encourage you to see that there is something bigger going on in your life than your pain or your anger or your despair. You are deeply loved by the God of the universe, and he has a plan. I hope that you will choose to move past your circumstances because God just may be using your situation to give you a story that can positively affect the lives of others. So lean on others who will encourage you, who will carry you when you are weak, and look to God to provide what you need to make it through your journey through the valley. You are loved, and there is hope. Well, next week on Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope, we welcome one of my all-time favorite authors, New York Times bestselling author and America's pastor, Max Lucado. Max has a new book coming out on September 15th called You Are Never Alone. Our conversation centers on the message behind Max's new book, Loneliness and Trusting in God's Presence and His Power. This crazy season in our lives has brought about lots of changes. In all of the isolation, more people than ever in our world are experiencing loneliness. Even before COVID-19, social media has made it possible for us to communicate with more people than ever, but ironically, we are lonelier than ever. Max dives deep into the Gospel of John to give us answers to our isolation and to the storms in our lives. So subscribe today so you don't miss this next Conversation of Hope with pastor and author Max Lucado. Thanks again for joining us this week. And remember, if your life is grounded in Jesus, even in the darkest times, there is hope.